Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, ladies, find you a man who can make an arm net while you rest <laughs> in the cave. Who can who can extend his arms and find that find that truly the dream, <laughs> um, truly the dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and, and he's got a real penis. <laughs> get you a man who well, can do both. What was, what was that old cartoon? Ah, real monsters. This is like <laughs> ah, real penis. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. I'm Pax. I'm Anna. And I'm Henry. And this is Bro Takus, the show where a bunch of people who love anime do a deep dive on what is and isn't worth watching. We believe you don't need a major in anime studies to enjoy this wild, beautiful, and strange art form, and we are lucky to have you on this journey with us, dear listeners. Today, we bring you an episode filled with hype and joy and existential dread, one with music and animation that rivals anything Studio Ghibli has put out, a show with an amazing eldritch horror tinge to it, a show with a big-ass hole and a lot of discussion about robot penis. All my favorite too- things. All <laughs> These are a few of my favorite things. <laughs> uh, but today... We actually have some uh, special homies with us. So Hal is currently out hunting down the last member of the uh, Moon Chieftain Squadron who destroyed his bloodline. He's using his revenge Nen techniques against him. And thank God, fuck those bitches. He is reversing mm-hmm. and doing the, the grand, uh, grand. What do you what do you call it? Is it just a great reversal? Is there any cool name for that? Uh, turnabouts and fair play. Uh, I think ooh, Reversal turnabout. sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I like a turnabout. That's a big mm-hmm. turnabout. In Phoenix Wright, which is one of the best games ever, every case is called like turnabout something because you're always flipping yep. the script. And your client is never fucking guilty. It's great. It's <laughs> actually very nice. Except for the one time so, that he was guilty. I played yes, a lot of I know, games I know. That was the best game. Yeah. Anyway. I, that's why I wanted to be a defense attorney when I was a young homie, because of <laughs> Phoenix Wright. And then I realized that they're just absolute monsters yeah uh, speaking of absolute monsters we have two monsters of the industry on the show today two bad bitches with hot takes and unpopular opinions and gorgeous <laughs> faces and they're inside this places and they're here to talk about some shit anna and henry how are you doing today i'm doing pretty good yeah me I'm too thrilled to be recording Oh, I'm so happy that we're finally getting this done to all the listeners out there this has been a trial of an episode it has. It's so this is be our th- even better because of it. And you might be hearing this. You guys can, can hear me, right? Yes. Yes. Of I hear you, and you hear me, and eventually they will hear us all. It'll be great. Right. But am, are green dots appearing on my screen I now? See your green dots. dots are Why don't I get the dots? Listeners, <laughs> we've tried multiple different recording platforms. We have rescheduled this one. There's some technical issues, but luckily we have somebody else on the pod today to help us. Pod mom, can you? Oh, oh, are you able to speak, Pod mom? We have our producer online with us. If you could give a little hello. <laughs> Thank you, Pod Mom. Our mommy. Pod Mom in the trap today. <laughs> Pod Mom in the cut. Uh, but we have an exciting announcement, which is that since Hal is um, going to be joining us when he can, as he is going on a pretty dope multi-month adventure, how much we reveal to that is uh, of that is going to be up to Hal. But. Because of that, we are going to be having even more extra special guests, kind of expanding the Brotaku's canon about who is a Brotaku, who is a Dojinshi, who's on the panel today. And uh, Anna and Henry have done a ton for Brotaku's. They are currently running our social media accounts. Um, 
And you've single-handedly, or I guess double-handedly, yeah. quadruple-handedly, there's two of you, we turned our Twitter into something like really, really special. How has that experience been for y'all? Um, it was a good time. Yeah, between the two of us, we have hot takes and shitty memes, and uh, it all, all works out. It all works out, and we've been having a ton of fun doing this. Thanks mm-hmm. for bringing us on and having us be our, your social media presence. Yes, follow us it, on Twitter, Brotaku's Podcast, Twitter, follow it all the time. Here are nonsense. It's, it's great. It's legitimately good. It's not just uh, <laughs> it's not just episode shilling. It's just every fucking day, just really five fuego tweets. Um, but that said, we've introduced both of you multiple times already. You've been on the show yeah, before, but I would I would hat. like, but I would like for you to speak a little bit from the heart about like who you are, what you do, and where people can find you specifically now that you're on the crew. So mm-hmm. Henry, if I could toss that to you first, I would love to. Um, I'm. Well, you can find me uh, also on Twitter at Shankity Stick, like a stick with which you would shank someone. It, it's an old name. Just just roll with it. Uh, I've been watching anime for years and years. I got my start watching Naruto subs on YouTube, where the episode was broken up into four parts, four different videos, clicking between stuff. What a time. I uh, got back in in like 2013 with Attack on Titan, and I've been rocking the weekly anime trends ever since. How you doing, Anna? I'm doing pretty great. You can find me on Twitter as well at Swagabond, like a vagabond with some swag. Also an old name. Just roll <laughs> with it. Um, and I've been watching anime ever since uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! was on 4Kids. Uh, and into into later Toonami and Adult Swim when I became obsessed with Inuyasha and would sneak out at night to watch it. Um, I uh, am also a voice actor located in uh, New York City, so if you want to hear any cool things like that or want or you like my voice, reach out to me. Um, yeah, I'm feeling great. I'm so excited to finally be recording this episode. Mm-hmm. I've been mm-hmm. wanting to record a Made in Abyss episode since Brotaku's inception, so... <laughs> yeah, by the yeah. way, we should mention, this week we're talking about Made in Abyss. Uh, it is an anime based on a web manga by Akihito Tsukushi. Uh, it began publication in 2012 on webcomic Gamma, and the anime adaptation was done by Kinema Citrus. You may know them from the Shield Hero uh, anime that came out a couple of years later. This... Made in Abyss, the anime, was first uh, distributed in 2017. There was going to be a sequel film last year, but uh, uh, last year was bad, so yep. they uh, they postponed it here in the West. We're in Hellworld, and we get Hellworld things. Mm-hmm. We get what we deserve. <laughs> Absolutely, and th- thank you for doming me and just taking the reins of Rotaku's. I appreciate that. I feel very flustered as you've, you've driven us <laughs> forward, despite my best this efforts. This ain't our first every- rodeo. Yeah, despite my best efforts to sabotage my own show, you you all are really helping out here. So I'm an official yeah, Brotaku now. I can grab the reins whenever I want to. You watch out. <laughs> oh my god. Is there going to be a Brotaku's coup in the next few months? I'm kind uh, of feeling like monster. that's where this is headed. Yeah, too much power. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yes, today we are talking about Made in Abyss. And this is a show where I feel like everything about the... Um, the presentation of the show is you see kind of like two chibi children uh, hanging out in the forest completely belies what the show is actually about. Mm-hmm. This is a show that deals with, I would basically, I would, I would venture to say that the main theme of this show is like the Nietzschean death drive. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's and, called and, the and, abyss. You stare into it and it stares back at you. Thanks, Nietzsche. Yeah. yeah. 
And so I like this all killer, no filler. I was I was totally <laughs> ready to just talk for 14 minutes about just what's going on, how we're doing. But I mean, hey, that. There's, so, there's so much to talk about today. Um, so let's just dive straight in t- to the abyss. <laughs> 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 So, as we start our discussion about Made in Abyss today, what is the main concept? Because this is like a this show is really rich world building. But um, Anna, would you be comfortable speaking on the basics? Absolutely. So, when we first pull into Made in Abyss, we start off with an amazing shot of the abyss, and it brings us to this sort of steampunk town in on an island that is clearly part of a greater world, but is really the only focus in the in the series. And it's this sort of uh, colonialist, I'm going to say, society um, that is sending people and called uh, uh, cave, no. cave divers, hole babies, hole babies, babies. <laughs> uh, called cave raiders uh, down into the abyss to bring up relics, which are um, just these old ancient artifacts of past civilizations. Like the first level that they go up down into are full of these ancient graves and they find stuff and they bring it back and they sell it. And their entire society is built around these somewhat suicidal ventures into this ancient, dark and twisted realm. And speaking of suicidal ventures about the abyss. So the abyss, I believe, is 20,000 feet deep as far as they've gotten. And every thousand feet is another level. As you go down, you are unaffected. But as you come back up, the uh, side effects get worse and worse and worse. Sort of like when you go into the ocean and come back up and get the bends. Except horrible. Except instead of getting, like, a headache and maybe some bad tummy weirds, you, uh turn into a monster uh, or start bleeding from your face. It's a bad time. Yeah. So we follow our main character, Rico, uh, and she is someone who is... Sorry, there was a cat on screen. We <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> follow our main Listeners, character. you probably can't see the cat right now, but too bad. Yeah, <laughs> Email us, join Brotakus. Maybe you could see Pod Mom's cat. <laughs> oh, Pod. Oh, and here's another cat. Sorry. Anyway. Oh, um, show the cat, show the cat. Woo, the cat is grabbing my butt. Mm. Cat, <laughs> say hello. Hey, hello, for listeners who uh, are, who choose to to listen to us on the podcasting apps. There is a cute cat on the screen right now. It is cream oh, color. It is a little tab, a little orange tabby. Mm-hmm. A little orange tabby. Like a strawberry blonde boy. His name is Brigadoon. And, and like expert broadcasters, anyway, we return to the subject at hand. Today's discussion on <laughs> Made in Abyss. Uh, we follow our main character, Rico, who is this young girl. She's known as a uh, Red Whistle, which is the lowest level of Cave Raider. Um, she is still in school. She's an orphan. And she is absolutely obsessed with the Abyss. Her mother was a famous, famous uh, White Whistle, which is the highest level of Cave Raider. Are you saying that this show has ranking systems? Oh, oh yeah. Yes, it rankings does. and hierarchies and different levels of power. It's, it's so good. It's really good. So we follow Rico. Rico, and she is uh, seen going into the abyss, and she finds a young lad robot. <laughs> 
he, he's a boy, <laughs> but he's he's a robot boy. He's a robot boy. We we will get into that later because there with are one spe- exception <laughs> about his robot body. <laughs> there's specific things that we need to know about him. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but she brings him back up and creates this uh, incredible uh, mission to go back down and find her mom in the bottom of the abyss, and that is where our show starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so um, the world building right off the bat on the show is something where it, um, I think there's a reason why this is just one of my favorite shows ever. And it's it's just a perfect package where besides the discussion about the Robot Boys package, there's very <laughs> few things I would change about the show. Because uh, initially, this descent into the abyss where these cave raiders are going, and um, they, this is not an Attack on Titan situation where they have like 3D crazy robot rope climbing systems that maneuver these things. It's a physical venture of like they need to set their ropes out and slowly descend and do these things. And and some of the the operators have like cool artifacts that help them. But but immediately, the the weight that is placed on the um cave raiders themselves you 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 hear that this is the only unexplored place in the world is this mm. strange island that was discovered like a thousand years ago that has this kilometer wide abyss around which a, the devastating image of the circular town built around the abyss i will definitely put an image of that in the pod and um now the artifacts that are dug up from the abyss which are almost like scps kind of in terms of like the effect Mm -hmm. on the world and that if they're too powerful they kind of get like brushed off in existence but the first powerful one you hear about is a bell called the unheard bell that can stop time itself and so people are going into this abyss for all sorts of different reasons they are going in for uh personal fame they are going in to uh get fortune they are going in for national pride there are other cave raiders from other countries that have snuck in to like harvest these artifacts themselves and then i think the most compelling people are going in are these people who just born on the outskirts of this abyss mm-hmm. it calls to them yeah and it calls mm-hmm. to them in a way that is not at all um too too uh, uh, blunt or overstated. It's not an actual like whisper of just like, "Hey kid, come get some hole, get in the They're hole, just, like, kid." It's obsessed. There's something deeply compelling about this unexplored yeah. hole. Humans are very curious creatures, and there's this enormous mystery. And there are going to be some people who are just drawn in who have to go and find out what's in this big dark hole. Humans love enormous hole. That is a basic truth mm-hmm. of humanity, is the we cannot get better. in our big hole. I was about yeah. to say, humans and, are all size queens, in one way or yeah. another. And so, y'all correct me, but the the fact that um, Rico, the, the young girl who's our protagonist, is a orphan is, I, I believe that... I don't know if it's only the orphans, but it's mostly only orphans <laughs> that get raised up to be cave raiders, right? It's hard to convince a parent to let their child go through the sort of terrible body horror required to become a cave yeah. raider. If you've got a large supply of orphans, you might as well put them in a big hole. As well as the fact that most of the orphans from this orphanage, which is the Belchero Orphanage? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Belchero Orphanage. Um, they are the sons and daughters and, uh, non-binary children of, uh, raiders themselves that have succumbed to the curse of the abyss, which is that sickness that you get as you are coming up. Yeah, so actually, let's, um, 
I'm just going to Google this so I don't get it wrong because listeners get mad at me. But so let's talk about the curse of the abyss and the way that it manifests, mm-hmm. right? Because yep. there are, of that we know of, um, how many layers to the abyss? Like, how many do they reveal? Um, like six? So six in the anime, but in the manga, we have gotten down to like 12, 15 bubbles, I believe. I think I I think that they're just heading to the seventh now in the manga. Actually, oh, but then they, I am so wrong because I I remember seeing a map of the abyss with all yeah. the levels. So they've been shown, but they haven't gotten there yet. Gotcha. But they they know of at least eight. But mm-hmm. it's really tough because we'll kind of go through the the consequences of descending the abyss right now. So first layer, edge of the abyss. Um, it's light dizziness and nausea as you ascend. Second layer, the forest of temptation. And as you're going to hear, these are not cool whole names yeah, for like, let's go hang wild. out in the forest of temptation. Um, which kind of sounds like the setting of Midsummer Night's Dream. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> forest of temptation, when you ascend, it's intense nausea, headaches, and numbness of the limbs. The third layer is the great fault where uh, uh, every... And when I speak now, it's everything before plus. It's like a upper mm. Patreon tier. It just so you're getting stacking all the and stacking and stacking. Yeah. So um, everything before plus vertigo and visual and auditory hallucinations. Fourth level, intense pain throughout the body and bleeding from every orifice. And, and we, we mean, mean every one. Mm-hmm. Every orifice. Um, fifth layer is called the Sea of Corpses. And so uh, add on complete sensory deprivation, shit. confusion, and. Good band name. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and and self-harming behavior, which I think is one of the scariest things is it kind mm-hmm. of like takes over your personality. And then the sixth layer is the limit to which uh, humanity can really delve and hope to ascend. And even then, it's like a 90% death rate. So coming up from the sixth layer, which is called the capital of the unreturned, um, complete loss of your humanity or death. Mm. Or under specific conditions, a different thing happens. But I don't think we're even going to mention that right now. Yeah, watch the show. You'll find out. It gets even crazier. But the thing to be aware of is that it's not like as you ascend all the way out. It's like if you even go up 100 meters, the effects start to go in, start to like take hold of you. So there are moments in the anime where they reach a dead end and they have to backtrack and go up another hill. And just going up that hill activates the symptoms so it becomes like you really become pot committed to exploring the the abyss because even if you try to slightly lessen the wear on you that's when it like the curse really grabs begins to grab onto you yeah absolutely and i think that you're hitting on something important there which is like the gravity of the abyss Mm -hmm. because the the pull of the abyss manifests in this gravity that is it is something that sucks in almost everything. It's like human hope, interest, and attention. Light mm-hmm. itself gets sucked into the abyss mm-hmm. so that even lower layers have some type of light because there's this strange field sucking it in. Yeah, um, it's totally black from above, but as you go down, there's still somehow light traveling through the field. It is the yeah. uh, ultimate sort of example of what we would call the void. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this all sounds pretty heavy, I think. And for someone listening, it, it, it I think sort of sounds like, well, this is a extremely uh, fucked up show. Why are kids involved in this? And yet the vibes are kind of different. Could you guys yeah. speak on that a little it bit? Kind of. 
I puts it around. would love to. Okay, so here's the fun thing about this show, and part of what makes this show absolutely irreversibly compelling. Mm. When you when you think of a show like this, Henry, what sort of art style do you sort of imagine? Like hyper-realistic, natural proportions, blood and gore and, like, scars and all sorts of realistic people. And yet. And yet. So, when the, the entire art style of the show, as uh, uh, Pax mentioned earlier, is chibi. Uh, these kids are cute. They are round. They are soft. The lighting in this show is beautiful and 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 very uh gobo-esque in its uh like arrangements lots uh, of pastels lots of soft colors almost watercolor or like colored pencil shaded backgrounds with these beautiful lush forests these absolutely gorgeous um image images that just really really inspire you and what's wonderful about this is the art style is so like, at odds with the tone of the show, it creates this really compelling dissonance for the viewer. It, like, it pulls you in, and then once it's got you, it grabs hold of you and, like, shakes you around with some of the darker themes. As well as the fact that when we we are following our main character, Rico, which I had mentioned before, she doesn't see the abyss as something scary or dark or mm-hmm. dangerous. Mm-hmm. She sees it as a world filled with wonder and exploration and things to be found. And frankly, without ruining anything, because I think we get into it by the second episode, it's where her mother might be found and she mm-hmm. might not be an orphan anymore. This is a, a world of nothing but possibilities. And we exclusively see this world through Rico's eyes. So we aren't even really given the chance to feel that darkness, feel that depression because she doesn't, and she doesn't let us. Mm. It's an incredible dissonance between um, the emotional tone of the characters and their physical forms versus the reality and the desperation of the world that they live in. The implications, one might say. The implications, yeah. And I think we're totally okay to... I guess, spoil the call to action because it's kind of endemic to the show. Yeah, one of the things I respect most about this show is that it just moves. It spends the first episode setting up this town, this society, this environment that surrounds the abyss, and then by episode three, they're just in the abyss. Bad things happen to children. But they, they never, because they can't go back up, they spend all this time creating the world around them so that you know and you understand what's going on in the greater world, but you don't experience it anymore because they've gotten into it and they leave their whole past behind to go on this epic quest. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th- I think that the, the pacing and enduring pro- popularity of Maiden Abyss is shown even in the manga because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, is it on a monthly release schedule or? Um, Could be. I don't know much about the manga. It's on a monthly release yeah. schedule. Gotcha. So it it does have like less than 60 chapters despite being out for like years and years and years now, which mm-hmm. makes sense considering the art in the manga is really gorgeous as well. Yes. I mean, it's t- totally makes sense why then the an- anime, I, since we had the professor on, I want to say anime <laughs> to like uh-huh. be correct, but the anime um, adaptation so clearly draws from the, the gorgeous art style, but Considering the fact that the the anime moves so quickly, you would think 
okay, well, are they really compressing a lot of things? But it's like, no, it's like yeah. a consistent, like two chapters of the manga make an episode of the anime usually is like the, the, the ratio. Mm-hmm. And it just flies, but in a way that doesn't feel like they're cutting anything out. It's just all killer, no filler. And mm-hmm. the, the call to action to which I was referring before, Anna mentioned that uh, her mom might be trapped in the abyss or in the bottom of the abyss. But um, she essentially, how the people who are at lower levels and... I don't know. Is it ever said that the white whistles have like a greater resilience to the curse or just that they No. They like the thing with the white whistles, the people at the very top of the cave raiding society is that they're all insane. Delving into the pit of this abyss twists you physically, mentally and emotionally. So even though they're incredibly powerful, like physically and with their endurance, They don't really engage with society in the same way because they're always in the abyss. They've kind of turned their back on the greater world. And while I would say that maybe they are, they don't have any sort of like immunity to it. They have become so powerful and they've done this journey so many times and they are no longer part of the real world anymore that they have I don't want to. I don't want to say a resilience or a resistance to it, but they've done it so many times that the pain no longer affects them. And they've kind of accepted it. Like you mentioned, one of the effects of ascending from one of the lower levels is you lose your humanity, and in some people that mm. manifests physically, but for others, it's a more metaphorical loss of humanity. Totally, totally. And what what is the what is the title of uh, Rico's mom? Oh, 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 I should remember this. She was oh, like, I, I mean, destroyer. I got it. It's, it's Eliza the Annihilator. Uh-huh. Eliza the Annihilator. And so mm-hmm. her mother is one of these legendary white whistles of which they're, they say that like less than, less than you could count on like your hands have made it to like the sixth level, even in the centuries of shit that's been going on. Mm-hmm. But, um, they they steadily arm themselves spelunky style with some of the artifacts that they find on their descent, yeah. and and Liza the Annihilator is a uh, she looks just like little uh, blonde Rico grown up with big flowing uh, blonde hair, and yet um, the way she's described by other characters it almost reminds me of how people talk about like um, Gene Freaks in Hunter Hunter, <laughs> where mm-hmm. they just mm-hmm. kind of describe like yeah your mom's the hero of the society because the White Whistles are the only ones that can kind of like even stand a chance of braving the abyss at these lower levels and getting these insane world-changing artifacts that make our town thrive. But um, the way that her, uh, her Liza's uh, uh, assistant or, or understudy, what the fuck, what's the term? Uh, apprentice. 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 <laughs> Liza's understudy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, uh, the the way that... By theater. I know he is then the like mentor of Rico and the way that he describes her mom is, uh, yeah, your mom, um, she was just, she didn't seem like anything special. She was just like weird and her behavior made a lot of people uncomfortable. Uh, she constantly started, she just was constantly drinking. And if she wasn't a white whistle, she would just be like any other one of these degenerate weirdos that you find in an alley, you know? The abyss really does draw a certain brand of people to it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get a lot of chill folks diving into the abyss. 
I almost imagine in our world like that there's like an Elon Musk type like creating an abyss <laughs> expedition. <laughs> like like it's like the same people who who sign up to go on the Musk mission to Mars or like yeah. you know let's go to the abyss. You have to um, really turn your back on uh, your past, your future, all that stuff. You got to be very committed to getting into this deep dark hole. Yeah, totally. Um, and so the, the, the call to action then, why her mother's trapped in the abyss or, or is whatever in the abyss, we still don't know, is that there are a few raiders who just now can no longer physically ascend. And the only way information can make it up is they tie them to like weather balloon type things, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they also have this interesting sort of elevator creation as well, that they uh, send to the bottom of the abyss and then have it bring them up. That's more for, like, moving the artifacts, but for, like, getting the information out, they, yes, they put them in, like, little hot air balloons that slowly but surely float out. So you don't know how long they've even been in the abyss, the information itself. Oh, describe, describe time there, Henry. Describe the time. Oh, it's just wibbly-wobbly... Some stuff takes longer than others. It's just, it's a really, like, time and space seems to just, like, fold on top of itself in the abyss. Like Time knife? Time knife. You get to look at time, time knife. knife. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, like, the we mentioned they show you a map of the abyss pretty early on, and at the top it looks like just, like, fields and cliffs, and but as you go deeper and deeper down... Like, the bottom of the abyss just looks like a bunch of weird clocks just spiraling out of each other. It Yeah. Time we nor the s- universe matters not in the abyss. Yeah. Exactly. And then towards, like, the very bottom, and everybody look, um, if, if you're not on the video version, look up an image of the abyss on Google. Um, it looks like if Satan had a cervix is, like, mm-hmm. what the very bottom that they've seen looks like. It's fucked up. <laughs> it's really weird. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's full yeah, of like, but, teeth and tentacles and <laughs> oh, that yeah, didn't talk so, much. Mm-hmm. And so, when you're down in Satan's cervix, inside, deep inside the the you know Beelzebub's bussy, uh, <laughs> to even send information up because you no longer stand a chance of living if you if you go back up, mm-hmm. you don't just send one weather balloon up. You send maybe like twenty of them, and maybe if you're lucky, one of them Cross reaches your the fingers. Top. Exactly, and so. The, the big call to action here is that one day a balloon reaches the top and it is from Liza the Annihilator herself. And she has included her white whistle, which is kind of something that uh, uh, s- symbolizes for the, the white whistles when they return their whistle and head into like the seventh layer. Uh, they call it their last dive, basically, mm-hmm. because there's no chance of survival when you come up. And so... She brings it, and inside is paper detailing not just monstrosities, and we're talking about, like, scorpions with, like, 90 tails and strange, eldritch, like, testicly beasts and just fucked up things that she claims are not just from the seventh layer, but from the eighth layer as well. Mm. Which is yeah, deeper than anybody else had ever gone up to that point. Yeah, and she includes a sort of, like, Gold Roger-esque letter in it saying, I believe it's it's... I'm waiting for you at the bottom of the abyss. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And Enrico immediately assumes that that's a message to her from her mother, inviting her to come find her at the bottom of the abyss. So she packs up her bag, takes her robot best friend, and 
leaves the rest of her life behind to delve down into the abyss. Absolutely. And so with that, I think that 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 is a kind of compelling chunk of what makes Maiden Abyss so eminently watchable. But I think we can serve to to broaden out a little bit here on some of the the, the bigger issues, because Mm -hmm. um, one thing I think in in particular, did we specify that that Reg, the little robot boy, is an artifact of the abyss? No, we hadn't mentioned that. Yeah, it's somehow he is both like part organic being, but also part artifact. Therefore, he is immune to the curse of the abyss Mm -hmm. and is, uh, oh, it is also important to mention he has amnesia. He has no idea anything about the abyss. So even though he is helpful in traversing the abyss, he's got these really cool uh, go-go gadget robot arms that extend extend. and shoot lasers and all Um, sorts of cool stuff. And yeah, and he's got that cool palm laser, very Kamehameha, but um Basically, he has amnesia, so while he is useful for traversing the abyss, he is not useful for any sort of information or anything that has yeah. happened to him in the past mm-hmm. or anything about uh, Liza, uh, but she believes that he can lead her, uh, Rico believes that Reg can lead her to her mother. Which is the only reason why she even has a fucking chance of making it past the yeah. second layer. Like. She's she is Bebe. She is she is how old do we think she is? Like nine? nine? Like maybe twelve? It's hard to tell with the anime, but she is Between very young. Nine and twelve. Yeah. And like she loves the abyss. She has done tons of studying. She knows everything there is to know about the abyss, but she is still a small child in a giant hole filled with vicious man-eating creatures. And just to push the point. They don't back away from that. I know a lot of times when we talk about, ooh, like dark, scary anime, like it's very, oh, but they don't show the blood. No. They show the blood. Bad things happen to these children, and you are forced, if not encouraged, to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Remember how he mentioned blood coming out of every orifice? Remember that. (laughs) Yep. Remember Uh that. Uh, So... The I think I, th- I think talking about the the dissonance there between content and art is 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 a good way to go too because when we mentioned Chibi style earlier I don't want people to be thinking of like Teen Titans Go um, I I think it's it's really just and and you're correct in describing it as Chibi it totally is but but there's so many blends of art styles where the children it's almost like you're viewing the children as they view each other mm-hmm. so it is the over exaggerated like uh larger eyes and heads and they just like look soft and nice but they also look real in a way that meshes with the rest of the world the pastels are a great example but adding to this when they show some of these monstrosities of the abyss they suddenly shift to this like just jarring art style where they remove like the black borders surrounding it and it almost takes on a sketch like um uh uh, sort of aesthetic where their colors are kind of like blurring and and shifting as they're like crawling Mm -hmm. along i'm thinking of like the the long-armed monkeys with the red eyes that chase them Mm -hmm. in the upside down forest they're like the creatures are so chaotic and inexplicable that they even break the rules of the like art style itself the established art style (sighs) they're designed to specifically look unbelievable and unlike anything that you've grown accustomed to seeing Mm -hmm. and it's funny because this has such a specific art style uh the closest thing that i can actually think of that is related to it that has come out recently would be uh uh, toilet bound tanako 
Oh no, Promised Love Neverland I would say is even more realistic than than this is. Mm. Um and we're and we're not talking like Shin Chan or anything that's like really, really goofy and sort of like drawn <laughs> style. Like Shin Chan. <laughs> it's oh it's beautiful <laughs> and like big and vast. It's just cute. It's so yeah. cute until it's not. Yeah. Something to mention is that um uh, where's the name? Akihito Tsukushi has a history in like uh, video game concept art. He worked on the Elibit series on the Wii and like Dewey's Adventure. So you can kind of the the amount of detail that he includes in all of his drawings has that same density of of detail that you would get from video game concept art. But it's every panel in his artwork and everything. Yeah. Everything gets that much attention. And if you really appreciate light and shading in artwork or in anything like that, um, he is a master of light and shading, both in the manga mm-hmm. and in the anime. It is one of the most gorgeously lit. Uh, I know that sounds kind of weird since it's animated, but it's one of the most gorgeously lit shows that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's totally right. And I think that um, now is a good time to kind of throw out, would we recommend the manga or the anime? Because it's... Um, I don't personally have any experience with the manga, but the anime is a must watch. There is, yeah. If you enjoy adventures, you have to watch Made in Abyss. I, I'm very confident on that note. did read a bit of it just to sort of like familiarize myself with both forms. Mm-hmm. Um the nice thing about this show is it's really very much there. There are some times when you need to watch an anime and then read the manga because they manga, because then they, um, they take things out. They, they don't delve in as much. It's not quite as detailed, but this is a really, really good one-to-one translation as far as, Mm. uh, uh, anime adaptations go. So you could read it and be totally caught up. You could watch it and be totally caught up. You'll just have to wait for the second season or the second movie. Um, it'll happen eventually. It'll happen eventually once when our world is not on fire. Um, so I wouldn't recommend one over the other. I did find that I liked being able to sort of uh, take pacing and pauses when I was reading it just because mm. it's extremely overwhelming as as a as a piece uh, but I don't think I would recommend one over the other I totally totally agree with that I think that this is we, we've reviewed a lot of um, uh, shows that came from web comics recently because that's become like more and more popular and I believe Maiden Abyss also started out as a, a web comic you said right yeah, it, um, it was, like, published online instead of in, like, a trade paperback. Yeah, but this is on a different level. This mm-hmm. is something where it's, like, this artwork can stand toe-to-toe with some of the best things out there rather than it being something where it's, like, um, a one-punch man or mob psycho-style, yeah. like, yeah. sketchy tale of artwork that gets it. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and and so I think that it's it's unique, and I, I, I heartily recommend the manga for people who um, have finished the, the anime and the anime movie and want more. Uh, but the anime, for me, a huge difference maker is like that just makes it a masterpiece. Is the music? The music Gotta talk because, about the music. Yeah, and I will definitely in, in the podcast. Um, it might it might not be copyright allowable in the uh, in YouTube, but um, we'll layer that. You see, that's why you should watch Brotaku's on both and listen on both because there's unique advantages to either way of adjusting. But yeah, just so, listen to so it eight right times now, on each place. 
Exactly. So right now you'll be hearing the kind of um, introductory uh, uh, music as they finish the kind of opening pastiche in the abyss where, where Reg is found. And then it shocked me because the sung language is English. With mm-hmm. the, and it's just this folky alternative mournful piece as they're rising above the abyss and the, the warm golden sunlight is bathing all of the trees and you, you start seeing the pseudo steampunk but sort of like a, a countryside European architecture and then the people living and it's just like oh my god it ripped my whole heart out man just the, the first the first instance of this music when I'm working, I like to listen to either video game soundtracks or soundtracks to like animes that I like because I it's it's sort of my version of lo-fi hip hop uh, beats to study. chill slash relax and study to exactly. Um, it's sort of my version of that. I can't do that with this one because the music is too good. I remember. <laughs> yeah. Trying to, uh, just in preparation for the show, trying to fall asleep listening to the soundtrack last night and just getting too distracted because I couldn't, I I couldn't stop listening. These are real, it's not background music, it's music. It's hummable melodies. Mm -hmm. And it's also the only uh, other uh, anime that has a real soundtrack like this, I think, would be. Sorry, uh, our cat's being annoying. I'm sorry. Uh, I think would be. Oh, dang it! What's it called? It'll. I'll. I'll come back to me. Come back. What to happens me. in it? Describe it. Uh, Mushishi. There we go. Damn. Okay, that's a great. Mushishi. Uh, if you if you really like that sort of folky English sound, go listen to Mushishi, and then go listen to Made in Abyss, and you're going to hear so many similarities and so many beautiful, just flowing guitar melodies and really, really cool pickups and drops. Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. We should mention, so, like, the name of the composer is this guy, Kevin Pankin. It was, like, a really... In, like, the anime community when Made in Abyss was coming out, it was really shocking to have this very Anglo-Saxon name on a Japanese anime production. He is one of the best composers working in anime right now. If you watch Tower of God uh, last year, that was also his work. He does incredibly unique sounds it doesn't sound like anything else in anime yeah absolutely and and so speaking of the things that make it unique as we're rounding out our kind of conversation for today i think that just right now we could kind of bluntly say this is one of those rare shows where we just all agree this is a a a masterpiece that we Mm. probably would i mean i'm trying to think like okay the, the big caveat is if you are sensitive to violence towards children you know what yes, I mean? That's a huge... these are very little kids and they go through some very difficult challenges. Or if you're sensitive to conversations about robots with real penises. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, t- let's touch on this a little bit. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I was fir- I first watched Made in Abyss when I um I I was with uh, a a like ex-partner of mine and they uh, had not watched a ton of anime before, which is, um, if you first don't get flag. inoculated early, then you probably have a healthy enough brain to recognize how fucked up it is and, mm-hmm. and how unhealthy all the tropes are. And so because of that, uh, something that my, my partner kind of noticed was like, um, there's so, why is, why does every, every anime we watch have some modality of sexual assault in it? And I was like, 
what? And then I'm like, oh, oh my God, me. it's literally been everyone. Because even in JoJo's, we tried watching JoJo's and like Dio uh, totally assaults like JoJo's like love interest at the beginning, laying, laying mm-hmm. like a smooch on her. We tried Yu Yu Hakusho in like the second episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, is like, is like he grabs on, uh, uh, what, what's the, what's the Goral character's name in that? Botan? No. No, it's the, no, that's the one with the ore. Let's, let's call her Felicity. <laughs> so, sure. Like, he like just comes back from the ghost world and they're, they're like he like feels Felicity's boobs and is like, oh my god, is that you? Is that you, Felicity? And same thing with like just so many shows just have this really casual and unfortunate relationship to like sexuality and consent. And in Japan, they kind of write it off as like hentai humor, hentai meaning pervert. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, oh isn't this funny? It, it, very much like how every movie in the 90s is just like endless assault. Mm-hmm. Like how um, uh, Revenge of the Nerds, the entire plot is just like committing sexual assault in 97 different ways (laughs) you know what i mean and unfortunately a lot of anime is still caught up in that and i think that it's kind of endemic where here pretty immediately rico makes a comment about while reg was like turned off like having probed him with a measuring stick yeah i mean like the the weird thing about their relationship is that rico does not see reg as a person she sees him yeah. as an artifact from the abyss, and so she thinks he's he's very cool and very useful and very interesting, but does not treat him with any sort of humanity. Whereas Reg is going is like, I'm just a little boy with robot arms. This is who I am. This is how I feel. And so when she says, "Yes, while you were switched off, I checked all of your parts. I." Found out how deep your rectum goes. I saw your little boy penis. He gets very embarrassed, but she just does not see it like that. I tried setting you on fire. I couldn't pierce your skin with a drill. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing I will say is, yes, there's this uh, crazy... Rico is... odd dynamics. Single, like, has a one-track mind. It is all about the abyss. It is all about studying artifacts. There's nothing that can shake her from her goal. Obsessed with whole. (laughs) But aren't we all? But um, Reg, for all intents and purposes, despite his go-go gadget arms and and his robot body, really is very human in a lot of ways. He blushes, he he clearly has feelings for Rico in some sort of way, Mm -hmm. and which is just so sad because she can just never return them. But um it is I, I actually remember when we first started watching this, uh, Henry was the one who made me first watch Made in Abyss, and he goes, I know you like shipping. Don't bother shipping these two. You're gonna be disappointed. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. And and I think that a, a element I love about this is that a lot of anime um, takes a takes a shortcut with portrayal and like like um just delves into hyper expressionism and if they want to make a character crazy like i'm thinking one of the worst portrayals ever is like the um the the black maid in um uh, uh promised neverland uh-huh. where to make it clear that she's crazy she just starts like eyes bugging it and talking like this and it's like and as if that's how you portray insanity or like a sociopath but everything about rico's sociopathy is just um 
environmental and it's hinted like this is a young girl who is the daughter of Liza the Annihilator who who is was literally in a sense made in the abyss informed mm. by just its influence and she her room in the orphanage is in an old execution chamber oh, like yeah. or a torture chamber which is something yeah. with that's great world building because you're like why did the town have this what was the purpose what did this orphanage used to be and just everything about the way she behaves it's this steady like drip 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 of like Oh, this is a fucking, this is a... a, An obsessed human. This would be a very dangerous person if she wasn't focusing all of her energy on this nightmare hole. Yeah, like if instead of being obsessed with hole, she was like obsessed with racism, (laughs) it would have turned out very differently, you Uh know? So thank God for the whole obsession for Rico. Um, so yeah, there's the regs weird penis discussion. When I, when I mentioned this, why we're mentioning it so much is that the show never takes a break from reminding you about the little weird real penis he has. Like, I swear <laughs> to God, every episode there's like two to three mentions of just, and even when they come across like a new character, it'll be like, yeah, yeah. Did you know? Just met these two kids <laughs> in the abyss. There's this little girl, she's Liza's son, and this is a little robot boy with a real cock. <laughs> it does make me laugh. <laughs> Yeah, no, it it totally makes me. It, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> getting away from the 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 PP discussion. What are some of the like standout moments we could remember from Aiden Abyss that like just have imprinted it on our souls? Mm. Um, there's a moment in like episode five or something when Rico gets incapacitated and Reg needs to take care of her, and part of mm. his caring for her and protecting her, he has to carry her up a slight incline, and she just does not... She reacts the way anybody would. She gets very, very sick, and I think that's one of the first moments where you realize just how dangerous this whole thing has been, and how they have not been treating it as seriously as they should have been. It's a real, like recalibration for the audience um i would say there are two moments for me one is probably around episode three where things start getting serious uh the first two episodes they don't downplay any of the abyss dangers they don't downplay any of the world building of this sort of scary world but you just haven't seen it yet it's all very cute it's all very sweet it's just this excited girl who wants to go on an adventure and then about halfway through the third episode the first bad thing like officially bad thing happens to rico and the immediate tone change is so sudden and deeply effective that it's one of my favorite moments in the show. It's all of a sudden that moment of, oh. Oh, this is what we're doing. And I then see, uh... the other one is actually on the exact end of uh, other end of the spectrum. There is one moment, I believe, in episode... It might also be episode three or four where um, Rico has to go to sleep for for the night because she's a human being and we require rest. And You may have heard of it. and uh, Or may not. <laughs> you might be a weeb. Um, but uh, she requires rest. And uh, Reg says, don't worry, I'll stay up. I'll protect you. And we wake up in this beautifully lit, gorgeous, flower-covered, like, cave space and she wakes up and she looks around and reg has tied his arms uh crisscross all over her like um just like like the surrounding area like a net 
and she looks up at him and his resting face. And for the first time, you have that like fleeting moment of, oh, my God, she recognizes him as like a real a real person. And then she immediately takes it away from you. But it's the sweetest moment. And it really, really is one of my favorite moments of the anime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, ladies, find you a man who can make an arm net while you rest in a cave, who can, who can extend his arms and find that, find that. Truly the dream, um, truly the dream. Yeah, and, and, and he's got a real penis. <laughs> Get you a man who well, can do both. What was, what was that old cartoon, Ah, Real Monsters? This is like, <laughs> ah, real penis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. But but so this is, it's just an endless drama factory. And, and it's such a brilliant setup because the, the little um, asterisks that they give next to Reg's very... Uh, incredible powers is one reg is light like physically he is not um a a heavy thing so he could still get tossed around and he can't like physically punch the like a boulder in half his main weapon is the kind of like um genos uh hand cannon iron man style that does the huge you know evaporation mega super duper blast but once he uses it he becomes unconscious for i believe it's two hours um it's either like it's for a time. It's, it's like a, a time. long enough time that she's in Rico becomes in danger. Yeah, and because Rico is so fragile, she literally wouldn't have made it past even the the first layer without mm-hmm. uh, without her her robot boy protecting her. And he might have an easier time protecting like an actual baby because like the baby would be small enough to like hide or and wouldn't wander off on its own. But the the only thing that she is going for her is her soft bones, I think, <laughs> from some of these impacts. You know what I mean? Because rough stuff happens. She gets uh-huh. flung around. Um, but otherwise, it's just this great and it, it, it never gets old. The the balance of I need to protect her. But if I if we get in such a hairy situation, then she needs to protect me and stands a very low chance of doing so. It's it's just a, a huge mm-hmm. uh, uh, uh it, it fucking rocks. It's so, so good. And, yeah. and, and let's uh, just be forward about this. This isn't speculation. This happens. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, like, absolutely. falls unconscious a few times. Yeah. And, and it's never like, it's never like, I shot the thing, and then the thing is gone, and you can hang out for a little while while I reboot. No, it's like, I killed one giant monster. Hey, look, another giant monster's over there. Yeah. It's so damn scary. And um, there are just other moments because you meet other characters in the abyss, which it's such a joy to like meet them and see what the denizens are. And the last thing I kind of want to throw out here is that I think the most if you ask somebody what is the most like archetypical, like devastating, fucked up moment in like popular anime, they point almost 100 percent of the time to the dog girl in Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then good, Watchful Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, but it's kind of the er scene of like, oh my god, anime is fucked up, and oh Jesus hurts. And for me, in the back half of this series, you meet a character who has a backstory and a scene that e- e- easily trumps it. Easily, like, is way more just fucking hurtful to watch. Even more traumatic, but it ties even stronger into the themes of the world that you've been experiencing. It's stunning, deeply effective, deeply, Mm. deeply effective. So, Maiden Abyss, generally deeply effective. Any last words we want to throw out here before just kind of issuing our broad recommendation? We have handled this show. I would not say with kid gloves at all, but we also have painted a picture of a very, very bleak uh, anime, a very mm. scary, sad anime. 
despite everything we've said, I do want to hit home. Yes, we know it's good. Yes, we know you should watch it. But it's also beautiful. It's also sweet. It yeah. has moments that of, of true, genuine emotion and of true, genuine human compassion that almost feel like they don't fit in the world, but are just like breaths of fresh air. And this is not a show. It is harrowing for sure, but it is not a show that is not unenjoyable. It is, I, we've just painted it as such a dark thing that I don't want to scare people away from it. It is a beautiful and really enriching show to watch. Yeah, 100%. The, pri- the price of love is grief, and you'll feel a lot of both in the show. You know, you will fall in love with the abyss and its denizens and the environment and these kids, and there's a lot of grief to be had because of that, but it's just one of those things that'll stick with you forever. But as we're rounding out today, bringing this kind of home, would you explore the abyss? If you lived in this town or in this Yay. world, would you dive into this thing? Because it, there's a lot of different... And, and if so, why? And if not, why not? I like to be alive. I, I, don't, I don't think I would do it. Um, <laughs> I don't think there's any evidence that I would come out of it whole. Um, I know deep in my heart that as a, as a little person, I would want to explore it very deeply. Would I? Absolutely not. I am clumsy. I am a coward. Uh, <laughs> straight up, I'll say it. I don't care. I'm clumsy. I'm a coward. And I am also uh, not that good at thinking on my feet. So for self-preservation alone, I would not. But I, boy, would I want to. Boy, would I want to. I would be such a little fangirl about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, my. Okay. Go I'm glad all you guys the are little res- traveling plays about it. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you guys are responding this way because I 100% would throw like a going away party. I would say my <laughs> goodbyes to my friends. But I feel that Nietzschean death drive a little bit, dude. I kind mm-hmm. of feel the calling for experiences that are greater than me. It's why I love it's why I love like piercings and elective pain. It's why <laughs> I love just like strange forms of just like g- grief and why like new experiences, even if they're extremely painful, are just like so important to me. Um, even the worst moments of my life I hold with just like huge veneration because of just the, the newness of it and feeling the call for something greater than you. Maybe I'm one of, maybe I'd be on Papa Musk's <laughs> Mars ship, dude. But like, oh man, the idea of like, what would your title be? Pax the Blank. Oh God. It'd probably be like Pax the Immediately Dead. Because like, <laughs> here's the thing. I don't even have a desire to be successful down there. Like I straight up don't you have a- go. And I don't even have a desire to die either, man. That's what makes it confusing. You just want to see something nobody else has ever seen before. Maybe, man. I think that there's just this this latent element of just my fucking genome that cries out for just like newness and just death just so doesn't matter compared to the wonders of the abyss and the, I don't know. I mean, just what a miraculous uh, death you would have when it finally comes Mm -hmm. and just being presented with the true nature of your own fragility is such like a devastating like thing to confront and like it'd probably be horrible but god i mean i would remember it until i f- was finally d- killed <laughs> jeez oh god. i need I should i should present this to my bird. therapist but come on the abyss is so cool there's snakes there <laughs> oh and see? every time Every time you come across something terrible in the abyss, every time that there's like a new, oh, look, it's the fucking like, uh, it's the, the it's bird the that eats corpses. It's the corpse that speaker. Like oh, the look, vocal cords of a corpse and speak with their voice. Yeah, cool. look, it's the walking demon that shoots cancer out of its eyes. It's just whatever it is. It's like, 
for every moment like that, you have a small quiet moment in which you look down and you see like little like hamster sized like bear things with mushrooms on their backs. Oh, I love and those things. And, like, strange, beautiful architecture and plants and things like that. And I think that's specifically why it's so compelling to me is, like, the the banality of our existence, of just day-to-day, the fact that so little is surprising in this world, and that we have a sense of what is going to become miraculous in the future through technology, but there are so few things that are truly inexplicable and overwhelming. And I think that mm. that nature of it, one, is something that seems completely unique in the world, like of Maiden Abyss, where it's like, there's not like, this is one of the 19 abysses, and there used to be demons in this world. It's just like, hey, this is a fucking world. We found an island with this horrifying fucking hole in it. But like, the idea of something that shakes up your expectations is so compelling, man. Mm. And I think that, that that little bit of magic is what I feel so, of us, so many of us miss in day-to-day life. And as I'm saying this, I probably should just go appreciate the magic of a tree. How if you look at it in the sunset, it looks like the, you know, circulatory system of a person and how there's so many little magical real things day to day. But I kind of want to fucking die while facing the, <laughs> I was about the to testicle say, scorpion of the eighth layer. Like, yeah. <laughs> Something they hit upon pretty hard at the top of the show is that this is the only place left in the world that is unexplored. Yeah. It's the last yeah. great mystery of this world. So I mean, have you have you guys ever felt a calling like that, like some like the call to adventure? A little bit. Something I always tell people is one of these days I'm just going to drop off the face of the planet, and they'll hear years later, "Oh yeah, Henry moved to Montana to be like a fire watchman." I don't know. He just disappeared. Mm. Now he lives in the woods. Um, similar to Henry, actually, uh, one of my favorite ideas in the world is this idea of going someplace where nobody knows you and no one gives a damn. Um, just mm. this, this idea of being unknown and being able to do whatever you want in a place where no one cares is magical and beautiful to me. There's yeah. a freedom to it. I have there a lot is. of wanderlust in me, just maybe not a lot of death lust. <laughs> I, so yeah, uh, listeners hit us up on, on Twitter, DM us, let us know if you would go get some hole, if you feel the, the Nietzschean death drive, if you feel that wanderlust, but, uh, otherwise I think... That's kind of our statement on it. We all, this is a fucking masterpiece. We mm-hmm. love it. If you really are, you better watch it. It is, for me, definitely a 10 out of 10. Um, it would be an 11 without all the, it'd be an 11 without all the penis talk. <laughs> but, um, uh, unless, Reg's regular unless, penis. Yes, Reg's regular penis. Or even if he had a robot dick that they just didn't talk about as much, that'd be way better. But they're just like, it, it, ah, what do you mean it's a human-like dick? Everything on him looks human-like. Why do you mention that his... What would even a particularly human-like penis look like? <laughs> <laughs> for the sake of Etchy. For the sake of Etchy. This right here and is so, the most human penis I've ever seen. Yes, and so, <laughs> listeners, uh, please watch Made in Abyss, despite all the penis talk. It's a fantastic show. It'll just unleash n- new emotions in you, make you cry, and just feel something so intensely. And I think that's the best of what animation has to offer. But uh, with that said, if there's nothing else we want to throw out here, uh, y'all are handling the outro today, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or review us on your favorite podcasting app. It really really does help with discoverability and like the success of a podcast so please please review us we'll give you a shout out on the air to show our appreciation also follow us on twitter aprotaku's podcast see these lovely faces uh nonsense words it'll be great you'll love it i guarantee you hot takes 
garbage memes, anime up the wazoo. You're going to love it. So follow us on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I'm Anna. I'm Henry. I'm Pax. And, and this, this is Bro, is bro Takus. <laughs> I, I didn't think did we were doing it together. That. I thought we, we've stopped doing it together <laughs> for a while, but do we want to give it one more time? Let's do All it right, one let, more let, time. Okay, so three, two, one. This, this is, is oh, Bro I'm sorry, I thought we were starting from All Right, I'm Anna. <laughs> Takus. See you next week, guys. Nailed it. Boom. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, y'all. Shall find